should be okay. Good morning, everybody. I'm bringing a chair up. I'm getting older. <laughs> good morning. It's good to see you. Thanks for having me back. Been a, I've been a little while. Today, as you know, is the 19th of April 2015. And um, as has been mentioned already today, some of you will know some of you walked through us on the journey. Twelve years ago today, our first, bo- our, our first son was born. His name was Caleb Aaron Dowds. In fact, that was 12 years ago today, um, the 19th of April 2003. In fact, 24 years ago today, my wife was reborn spiritually. She was baptized in the Gate Church in Dundee. And um, 12 years forward, our, our son was born. And um, the journey went back five months prior to that when we discovered, uh, we went for our first scan, we discovered Lindsay was pregnant for the first time. And for those who have been pregnant for the first time, there's a lot of excitement, there's a lot of joy. And we went for our first scan at the Queen Margaret in um, Dunfermline and uh, a little bit nervous for what happens, you know, all the rest of it. And they took the scan, they did all the checks and uh, the sonographer said, well, um, the, the baby's uh, bladder's looking a little bit big. Um, why don't you go and have a break for 10 minutes? Maybe the baby's needing to pee. Um, and then we'll come back and we'll do another check. So we're like, that's strange. Baby needs to pee. My goodness, they can tell a lot from these scans. So we went away thinking nothing of it, came back and said, mm, the, the bladder's a little bit bigger than we would expect. So um, what we'll do, we'll go on outside, we'll have some discussions and then we, you can come back in. So they came back and said, yeah, you're going to have to go tomorrow to the fourth park and see a consultant, and we need to kind of look into this a little bit further. Uh, We said, oh, we're really sorry, we can't make that. We're actually due to go on holiday to Wales, I think. Was that right, Lindsay? We were due to go to holiday to Wales. (laughs) He was really sorry, we're not going to be around. We'll just get it when we come back. And they're like, "Uh, no, you, you need to go for this. Uh, we're not really realizing the seriousness of the the matter. So yeah, we went along and um, we we saw a consultant, Dr. Tideman, who was wonderful. And he made us come back and said, yeah, it's a wee bit bigger. We went back for scans every single week and um, they thought hopefully it would just sort itself out. What happened was at the bottom, I don't know if I could get a timer up, please. Um, If you've got a timer at the back there, just so I don't speak all day. But... um, at the bottom of the bladder, there's a couple of valves that let the urine flow out. Basically, our, our, our son had a condition where these valves don't disappear. Normally, they disappear, but they didn't disappear. So basically, the urine had no way of getting out the bladder. So the bladder was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, this has ongoing problems where the urine starts to back up towards the kidneys, start to cause the kidneys to failure. The amniotic fluid around surrounding the baby starts to diminish because there's a circulation of swallowing, peeing, amniotic fluid. And this amniotic fluid is important for the development of the baby's lungs as the baby swallows and it flushes in and out and develops the lungs. So uh, eventually they said, um, this is not looking good. We kind of recommend you abort your baby. The chances of your baby being fine are very slim. That was obviously very difficult for us, but we're people of faith. So we said, well... Thank you for your recommendation. Abortion is never an option we would consider. Um, We didn't really go into great detail why, but for us, God is in control always, all the time, and he would decide what would happen to our baby. Um, 
So we decided we would pray, we'd believe, we'd heard of miracles, we'd heard of God healing people, you know, medical advances today, God can work through doctors. So we, we believed, um, we tried to believe, we tried our best. We continued to do the things that you would normally do. We went to mother care, we went to babies or us. We started to stock up on the baby clothes. We started to look for the pram and that day we bought the pram and we started to look forward and dream of the day when we would take our baby out in that pram. We, you know, uh, wallpapered the room, got the room ready and, and, and started to prepare. And it was difficult because every time you went back to the hospital, they would say, it's not looking good, it's looking bad. You know, if this baby does survive, then its outlook is not good. Um, and all the rest of it. Came to a crunch time when they sent us to York Hill in Glasgow and said, this is the decider, really, the tests in Glasgow. And the drive to Glasgow that day was very difficult because it says the tests will determine, really, if your baby's going to survive or not. And they came back, did the test in Glasgow and said, no, really sorry. It's, the tests are really bad. This is poor. It ain't going to happen. Your, your child's not going to survive. And even if he does, he's not going to have a good life. Obviously, we were devastated. We continue to try to pray. We get family and friends and wonderful family and friends here at the Vine helped us through that. After week 36, Lindsay goes into labor. and We um, go to Fourth Park Hospital in Kirkcaldy. It was a long labor. And it was long for many reasons, but one of those things you're thinking, what is going to come out? <laughs> what is... What is, what is the state of our child going to be? The baby was born, they took him away, they tried to resuscitate him and they brought him back, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes later. They handed us our son and said, we're really sorry, there's nothing more we can do and handed our son back to us. His heart was still beating, he was still alive and we're like, what do you mean there's nothing you can do? I mean, surely, what do we do now? You know, they're like, nothing, just wait. And yet God was with us in that moment. His grace was there. We, you're holding your child who's about to die. You don't know when. He was peaceful. He was still. The presence of God was there among us. You would imagine you would be freaking out. But God's grace is with you in every circumstance. And he was there. And he helped us. And we were sad. And he, he, had, he was very peaceful. He hardly made a sound apart from the occasional gasp for, for breath. that sounded like a hiccup as he tried to get air into his lungs. <gasps> He would make that small sound and then silence, no more sound. We got the doctors back in to check him over and they uh, pronounced him dead at 59 minutes and that's what went on his death certificate. We were devastated. It was horrible. It was painful. We didn't know what to do, and I don't even think the midwives knew what to do because most people abort these days, but we weren't going down that case. But they offered us to take our child home, and we're like, what, take a child home? Well, we're not leaving him in here on his own, so we have to take him home. So that's a long story. We took him home, and he slept next to our bed that night. That was a hard night. That was a long night. For those of you that have experienced grief, there's a sob, there's a depth of grief and pain that you feel that you've never ever imagined. Lindsay and I had easy lives, blessed lives. We didn't know suffering or pain from anything. You know, we, we, we were spared all of that. I remember waking up and going over 
and maybe God would resuscitate him through the night. Maybe that's what God was going to do. He was testing her faith and maybe if I just went and kissed my son on the head, he would revive, he'd come back to life, we'd hear him crying and I kissed him on the head and I got a fright because it was stone cold, stone cold and the reality came home. The next morning his, his skin was starting to go a purple color and the hardest part was when the funeral cars drew up outside our flat in Grange Wine in Dunfermline. I think we had arranged for gold cars, is that right, Lindsay? We didn't want black cars because he was going to be dancing on the streets that are gold, so he's going to be travel uh, in gold. And somehow they had gold cars for us. Wonderful. But that was hard when they came and took him away and we had to say our goodbye. The days were dark, the days were long, the days were hard. We had the funeral here at the Vine Church's coffin uh, just sat just about there in the front, tiny little coffin, and I had the privilege of carrying my son up to the funeral cars while the song To Live Is Christ, To Die Is Gain was playing. The days ahead were dark, they were long, they were difficult, they were painful. It's hard to pray in those moments. What do you pray? And sometimes I would just break down and cry, God, help us. God, just help us. Just help my wife. I've never seen her cry so much. Never seen anyone cry so much. Never seen someone sob with a depth. And I worried, is she ever going to be the same again? She was lighthearted. She was fun. She was bubbly. Will she ever be the same again? Will she ever? How can she recover? How can she get over this? And I just prayed, God, let her be the person she once was. Today, as you, she leads worship, I'm sure you agree, God's done an amazing work, which he deserves our praise and thanks. And if you wouldn't mind joining me, I would. But um, you've maybe not lost a baby, but every one of us in some way, shape or form has been birthed with a dream and perhaps you've not birthed that dream yet. Perhaps that dream has been birthed and then it died and then it was removed from you. Maybe it was a marriage that you dreamed of. Maybe it was a partner. Maybe it was a loss. Maybe it was a grief. But every one of us has faced disappointment, pain, and our dream has not come true. And disappointment is painful. It's hurtful. It can make you hard. You know, I remember just not caring about anything for a while. But it makes us Suffering does something to us where it makes us ask lots of questions and lots of questions go through your head. Questions such as, whose fault was it? You ask that question, don't you? The enemy, the accuser of the brethren, he, it must have been your fault. Maybe it was your sin. Maybe you haven't been forgiven. Maybe God's punishing you for something. Maybe you didn't eat enough of this or maybe this or that, the next thing. Had we failed to do something properly, you know, then you ask, well, why, when there's so many testimonies of miracles and many people do get the answer to the prayer, why, why and how could God not answer? He heard our cries. If he has the power, how could he not give us the answer to our prayers? Was it my fault? Did I lack faith? I tried God. I tried to believe. Yes, there was doubt. Yes, there was this nagging feeling of what if he doesn't answer? Yes, that was all there seen other mums with their newborn babies you tried your best to be happy for them and you were genuinely happy but also reminded you of your pain 
that we didn't get to change our son's nappy. We didn't get to put him to bed. We didn't get to take him for a walk in his new pram, that we had to strip his wallpaper, or we got somebody in to do that because we couldn't face stripping the wallpaper off his wall. But the question is, how do I respond to disappointment? How do you respond in life when the water runs out, when there is no water? How do you respond when your prayers are not answered? Well, today we're going to find out the answer to the question is not why, but who. Who is in control? And we've got two options, belief or unbelief. Belief or unbelief that God was, that God still is, and God will always be in control. The question you and I are faced with, is God among us or not? And the question is, is God still in control? Well, in Exodus 17, next slide please, we see that God's people, the Israelites, had just experienced the plagues of Egypt. We're going to look at Exodus 17, our passage, and uh, The context of this is really important because prior to this, they had just experienced the plagues in Egypt. They had just experienced the crossing of the Red Sea. They had seen the miraculous power of God. They had just experienced the provision of God with the manna and the water in the desert. But then their water runs out. And we read how they respond in Exodus 17 when the water runs out. It says... All the congregation, Exodus 17, verse 1, of the people of Israel moved on from the wilderness of sin by stages according to the commandment of the Lord and camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. Therefore, the people quarreled with Moses and said, give us water to drink. And Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? Why do you test the Lord? Interesting there that quarreling with Moses was equated with testing the Lord. Why? But the people thirsted there for water and the people grumbled against Moses and said, why did you bring us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. And the Lord said to Moses, pass on before the people, taking with you some of the elders of Israel and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. Behold, I will stand before you there on the rock at Horeb and you shall strike the rock and water shall come out of it and the people will drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel and he called the place Massa and Meribah because of the quarreling of the people of Israel and because they tested the Lord by asking, is the Lord among us? Or not. The place was called Massa, which means testing. It was called Meribah, which means quarreling. And verse 7 tells us they asked the question, is the Lord among us or not? See, by asking the question, they were actually doubting that God was among them. They doubted that God was in control of the situation. They feared somehow God had lost control. He started, but now he's disappeared and vanished and left them. The question revealed their faulty belief that if God is among them, they will never experience difficulty. 
The question we're all faced with when disappointment hits us hard. Is the Lord among us or not? Is God still in control or has God somehow lost control of our lives, the world, the universe, and the future? You see, the incident of Israelites grumbling about no water is referred to in Psalm 95. If you turn there, Psalm 95, verses 6 to 11. And it says, Lindsay read it this morning, Oh, come, let us kneel before, worship before, worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our maker. He is our God. We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as at Meribah. That's where they tested the Lord by quarreling and grumbling because there was no water. As on the day of Massa in the wilderness, when your fathers put me to the test, they put me to the proof. Though they had seen my work for 40 years, I loved that generation and said, there are people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways. Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. It's referred to, this is a prophetic hymn. It's a historical psalm. It's drawing an important lesson for the people of God from the incident in Exodus 17. And it reveals the persistent unbelief and hardness of heart of the people of God from the start of the journey until the end. It's, it's revealing the unbelief. And it culminated in the judgment of God when the unbelief came to complete uh, 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 growth and fulfillment, if you like, when they responded to the negative report of the 10 spies and the judgment was that everyone over 20 years of age was not allowed to enter the promised land. It's even mentioned in the New Testament. I think God's wanting us to get a, mention, uh, a, a handle of this in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. This incident is mentioned once again, and the author of Hebrews quotes that psalm. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 12. 7 to 11 is quoting that psalm, and he's wanting a lesson. And the lesson is found in 12. Take care, warning. Brothers, family of God, lest there be in you, any of you, an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. Verse 14 says, For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. It says that we need to hold our original confidence firm to the end we need to believe that God is in control at the start he's in control of the present and he's in control of the future and we know need to hold that confidence firm to the end through every trial every difficulty every challenge we need to hold our confidence we need to hold the confidence that God delights in us we need to hold the confidence that he is our father and we are his children that he is our shepherd and we are the people of his pasture we need to hold the confidence and that's what they never held they lost that confidence they questioned they grumbled they complained and they lost their confidence and as a result everybody above 20 years of age was not allowed to see or enter the promised land they all died in the wilderness they did not hold their confidence firm to the end verse 19 tells us we see why were they able to unable to enter because of their unbelief how are we saved into the kingdom of God? By faith. 
by belief. How do we enter the promised land? By remaining in faith, by holding firm our confidence to the end. It's not works, it's by faith. By faith, by remaining in belief. And chapter 4 verse 2 tells us, they did not benefit from the good news of the promised land because they lacked faith. They had good news as we have received good news, but they lacked faith. I want to show you this video of Saeed Abedini. He's an Iranian-American Christian pastor. He's been imprisoned in Iran. He's been detained in Iran since the summer of 2012. And on January 27th, 2013, he was sentenced to eight years in prison on charges of undermining national security through private religious gatherings in Christian homes in Iran in the early 2000s. This is a letter he wrote to his daughter. Let's just say the water has run out for Saeed. The context is really important. He's been in an Iranian prison. He hasn't seen his wife and two children. He's been facing terrible, terrible torture. Horrendous torture. He's faced death threats from those that are inside the prison. And yet, listen to what he has to say. Thank you, Peter. النهارده يا ولاد احنا هنيجي نزور مجموعه ثانيه من الاطفال في مكان اسمه عنكاوا مول باستر سعيد بيتر باستر سعيد ابديني ذاتس ات هير ايت بيرثداي اتس ثيرد بيرثداي ويزاوت هير دادي لاست تايم شي جوت تو سي سعيد واز وين شي واز فايف اند سو اتس جست It's an expression of what's going on in Saeed's heart towards Rebecca on this special day, but it's just a hard day, but also as it approaches the two-year anniversary of him in prison. My dearest Rebecca Grace, happy eighth birthday. You're growing so fast and becoming more beautiful every day. I praise God for his faithfulness to me every day as I watch from a distance through the prison walls and see pictures and hear stories of how you're growing both spiritually and physically. Oh, how I long to see you. I know that you question why you pray so many times for my return, and yet I'm not home yet. Now there is a big why in your mind. You're asking why. Jesus isn't answering your prayers and the prayers of all the people around the world praying for my release and for me to be home with you and my family. The answer to the why is who. Who is in control? Jesus Christ is in control. I desire for you to learn important lessons during the, these trying times, lessons that you carry now and for the rest of your life. The answer to the why is who. The confusion of why has all of this happened and why your prayers are not being answered yet is resolved with understanding who is in control. Lord Jesus Christ, our God. God is in control of the whole world and everything that is happening in it is for his good purpose, for his glory, and will be worked out for our good, Romans 8, 28. Jesus allows me to be kept here for his glory. He's doing something inside each of us 
and also outside in the world. People die and suffer for their Christian faith all over the world, and some wonder why. But you should know that the answer of why is who. It is for Jesus. He is worth the price, and he has a plan to be glorified through our life. I want you to read the book of Habakkuk. And he had the same question as you. But see the Lord answered him in Habakkuk 2.3. The vision comes and doesn't delay on time. Wait for it. Mommy and I always had big desires to serve Jesus and had great visions to be used for his kingdom and for his glory. So today we pay a cost because of God. Because God who created us called us to that. And so I want you to know that the answer to all of your prayers is that God is in control. He knows better than any of us what God is doing in our lives and around the world. Therefore, declare as Daniel and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did in Daniel 3, 17 and 18. If that is the case, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. He will deliver us from your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will worship the gold image which you've set up. And learn and declare, as Habakkuk did, that even if we do not see the results that we are looking for, God is still good, and we will praise his holy name. Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. Though the fig tree may not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, though the labor of the olive may fail, and the field yield no fruit, though the flock may be cut off from the fold, and there be no herds in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength. He will make my feet like deer's feet, and he will make me walk on high heels. Then my dear beloved daughter, Rebecca Grace, I pray that God will bring me back home soon. But if not, we will sing together as Habakkuk did. Hallelujah. Either separated by prison walls or together at home. So let daddy hear you sing a loud hallelujah that I can hear it all the way here in the prison. I'm so proud of you, my sweet, courageous daughter. Glory to God forever. Amen. Kisses and blessings, Daddy. How beautiful. Separated from his daughter for two years. And he still believes God is in control. He's not turned bitter. He's not turned angry. He's still trusting God. The, the root of unbelief for the Israelites come to a head. When the spies are sent out to spy out the promised land, 10 come back with a negative report. And in their negative report, when you read in Numbers chapter 13 and 14, you will discover not once is the name Yahweh mentioned in their report. They responded like atheists. They responded as if God was not among them, as if God was not on their side. And the people's heart of unbelief responded to the negative report. But there was two is described as having a different spirit, as having followed the Lord wholly and fully. Their names were Joshua and Caleb. And they said, no, people, please, please. If God delights 
in us. The name of Yahweh is mentioned at least four times in two verses. They knew God was among them. The different spirit knows that God is for them. The different spirit knows that God delights in them. The different spirit knows that Yahweh is able to take these giants out of the game. He knows there is no need to fear because it's not our battle, it is the Lord's battle. They know that it doesn't matter on the number and the strength of our horses and chariots, depends whether or not is God among us or not. Is God on our side or not? And God is calling us to be a people of faith, to be of the faith of Joshua and Caleb, to be of the different spirit which trust God. They know who God is. They remember what God has done. They know what God can do. They hear what God has promised in his word. They hold on to it. They hold firm their confidence unto the end. They believe what they hear. They act on what they hear with the resources that they have in their hand. They know that victory belongs to God. They, they know the different spirit is convinced that God delights in his people. You see, there was a man called Joseph. And Joseph, and we're going to watch one more video and then we're going to ask Lindsay to come back up and worship. There was a man called Joseph. And let's just say the water ran out for him. Let's just say he was betrayed. Let's just say he faced separation. Let's just say he had years of agony and separation in heart that when you read full, through the full story, you see it. His sobs, when he meets his brothers again, he has to go away. He can't contain himself because the pent-up pain of separation from his loving father from whom he received a multicolored coat just bursts out. He's faced years of suffering. And the question was for Joseph, is God among us or not? It says that the Lord was with him and gave him success. And Joseph learned to understand through his life that God is with him, even through pain and difficulty, that God can redeem every circumstance in our life. What does Romans tell us? It says God works all things to the good of those who are called according to his purpose. God can take death, betrayal, separation, murder. God can use it all for his purposes and for his glory. Because Joseph... In, in two of my favorite verses in the Bible, he looks at his brothers and in Genesis 50, 45 verse 5, he says, do not be distressed or angry with yourselves. He had every right to be angry. They were the reason he was separated from his father. Not one of them rescued him. Not one of them tr um, um, looked out for him. But he says, do not be angry with yourselves because you sold me here for God sent me. Who sent him? Who was in control? He came to understand, you think you sent me, but God was in control. And said, God sent me ahead to preserve life. And in fact, because he was sent, his father was probably saved from the famine, the father that he loved so much. But he goes on to say in 50 verse 20, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. That's incredible. You meant evil against me. It doesn't matter what evil, what pain, what hardship, what suffering you've been through. 
Joseph probably didn't have a full understanding of what was happening to him, but he came to learn to trust that Yahweh is with me. Yahweh delights in me. He is, he is my shepherd and I am the people of his pasture. He cares for me. He will use every circumstance and turn it around and use it for his purposes if I will trust in him. If I will respond with a different spirit that knows that God is with us. Jesus ultimately was betrayed by Jewish, Judas and his disciples turned their back and denied him. And even Jesus who was sent to the cross because of a betrayal and knowing the pain of the betrayal of a trusted friend and an inner disciple. Even Jesus knew that God was still in control. He was betrayed but God was in control and God used that very heart and pain and loss to fulfill the destiny of the cross, the salvation for all mankind. It doesn't matter what, what dream that we have had that has died in our arms. It doesn't matter what pain or suffering or loss, if we will trust him people, if we will continue, if we will hold firm our confidence to the end, if we will allow God to heal us, we will allow God to wipe away our tears. Yes, there is suffering, there's difficulty, there's hardship, there's lack of understanding, yet like a little child. <laughs> and let's learn from the little child. We're going to finish on this. Lindsay's going to come back up. We're going to sing one more song of worship. But Jesus said, let the little children come to me. Because he, he told us to listen to the children. He said, if you, you must have the faith of a child to enter his kingdom. So let's hear some childlike wisdom. Let's go for the full version and then Lindsay at the, near the end. Once the song comes on, Lindsay, if you come up with the band and we're going to pray. Thank you, Peter. We're here in the Mokhayim. We found a child who was given to us. Maybe pause it for a second. Yeah, sorry, I forgot to give you the context. Just, just... This is um, a, 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 a child, um, it's 10-year-old Miriam. She's from Mosul, Iraq. Her family fled their home last July with hundreds of thousands of other Christians. They found safety in Kurdistan, Zerbil. Esam, that's the guy that's uh, our questioner. He's from Sat7 Kids, the presenter of the kids' TV program. He visits the refugee camp where she's been living for four months. And he asks Miriam some questions. So we can just play that from the start. Thanks, Peter. واحنا موجودين هنا في المخيم لقينا بنوته فوجئتني بتقول ان هي بتفرج على ليش هيك واسمها مريم ازيك يا مريم زينه انت كيفك انا زي الفل انت بتفرجي على ليش هيك فعلا ايوه حبي سات 7 كيدز ايه انت فين بلدك ايه من قراقوش برضو ايوه من قراقوش انا طيب انت عندك 10 سنين مش كده ايوه طيب قولي لي انت بقالك قد ايه هنا في المخيم اربع اشهر ايه اكتر حاجه انت حاسه ان هي كنت بتحبيها في كراكوش مش موجودة هنا دلوقتي في المخيم كان عندنا بيت وكنا متونسين بس يعني هنا ما متونسين بس الحمد لله يعني الله سترنا قصدك ايه يعني ايه الله سترنا يعني الله حب حبنا و... وما قبل يعني يقتلونا داعش طيب انت حاسة قد ايه ربنا بيحبك صح ايوه ربنا بيحبنا كلنا مو مو بس انا 
كل الناس يحبوهم الله وانت شايفه ان ربنا كمان بيحب الناس اللي ممكن تبقى اذتك وزعلتك ولا لا يحبوهم بس ما يحب الشيطان طب انت شايفه انت حاسه بايه ناحيه الناس اللي ممكن تبقى خرجتك من البيت وتعبتك ما راح اسويهم ولا شيء بس يعني اقول لله يسامحهم وانت تقدري تسامحيهم كمان ايوه بس دي حاجه صعبه قوي ولا حاجه سهله ان انا اعرف اسامح الناس اللي تعبتني يا مريم ما راح اقتلهم يعني ليه اقتلهم بس بس زعلانه لي طلعوني من بيتنا طلعونا من بيتنا طيب انت كنت بتحبي المدرسه في كراكوش صح ايوه وكنت اولى دايما كان عندك اصحاب كمان في المدرسه ايوه موجودين هنا معاكي ولا ما فيش ولا حد فيهم هنا اكو بس ما بس ما اعرف وينهم طيب لو يمكن يكونوا هم دلوقتي بيتفرجوا على التلفزيون بيشوفوا سات سيفن كيدز تحبي تقولي لهم حاجه كان عندي صديقة وإذا هوني كان عندي صديقة اسمها ساندرا وكنا أنا وهي كل اليوم مع بعضنا وكل المدرسة مع بعضنا مع بعضنا مع أنه كنا بعيدين بيوتنا مع من من بعض بس كنا نحب بعضنا كثير يعني إذا هي غلطت علي وأنا غلطت عليها نسامح بعضنا ومرات كنا نلعب ونغلط على بعض بعض بس نسامح بعضنا وكنا نحب بعضنا بس هسه اريد اشوفها شوف بس انت مش عارفه هي فين خالص صح ما لا ما اعرف وينها طيب هي لو ساندرا بتفرج علينا دلوقتي اكيد هي كمان بعتلك سلامات و... واكيد هي كمان بتحبك يا مريم فيني كثير وانا حتى احبها ويا ريت اشوفها يوم اكيد ونفسي كمان احنا نبقى معاكي في اليوم ده علوه يعني ايه يعني علوة أرجع نرجع على بيوتنا هي ترجع على بيتها ونشوف بعضنا وترجعوا كمان في بيت أحلى من البيت الأولاني كيف الله ما كيفنا نحن كيف الله هو اللي يعرف طيب أنت مش بيجي لك وقت كده تبقي زعلانة بتحسي إن يسوع سابك مثلا مرات يعني ابكي على البيت مالتنا ابكي على قرقوش بس ما ازعل انه الله يعني سابنا من قرقوش يعني رحنا من قرقوش اشكره لانه سترنا وجابنا لنا حتى اذا متبهدلين هنا بس الحمد لله الله سترنا انت علمتيني حاجات كثير قوي شكرا و... وانت حتى علمتني علمتك ايه انا علمتني يعني ما علمتني يعني حسيت بمشاعري حسيت بمشاعري انا كان عندي مشاعر واريد يعني يعرفون الناس ايش هي مشاعر هذول الاطفال اللي هنا وانت عارفه ان يسوع مش هيسيبك ابدا صح؟ ما راح يسيبنا اذا مؤمنه وثابته بينه ما راح يسيبني طيب قولي لي انت فاكره ترنيمه او فاكره حاجه لما بتبقي قاعده لوحدك كده بتحبي ترنميها او تتكلمي يسوع بيها ولا مش فاكره ولا حاجه خالص عندي ترا عندي ترانيم طب تحبي تقولي اكتر واحده انت بتحبيها تبقى صغيره وقصيره بس نسمعها منك ايه رايك اكو واحده